Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20 Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student, where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Welcome back, Scriptorians. This is Lori, and we are jumping into Alma in the Book of Mormon, and where a new challenge is going to affect the saints. So welcome back, everybody. Um, we are moving on from the Book of Mosiah to the Book of Alma, and I want to do a couple of overviews of that book. It is one of the longest books. Is it the longest book? It has to be the longest book in the Book of Mormon. Um, and we learn a lot of different things in very different sections of the book. But I want to start out today as we are headed into the story of Nehor and some of the challenges that are going to come up with the saints and the church. And it really interesting things that are going to happen. And I want to talk about characterization and characters and how we should maybe learn to read these a little bit. So... Let's jump in and learn about how to read about characters in scripture. So really quickly, we're not, I'm not going to be able to go through every single chapter as we read, as you've probably figured out. I wish I could. I always have so many things that I learn and would love to talk to you guys more. However, I'm a little bit restricted on time these days with work and et cetera. Come on, COVID. Let us, let us work. So my job is actually exceedingly busy right now. So I just apologize up front for that. One thing that I want to point out as we move into these books, however, is how different they are than how we tell stories today and maybe remind us on how we learn, how we learn about scripture. So this is uh, put on your literary criticism hats. This is my favorite stuff, by the way. All right. So one of the things we learn when we look at stories and hear stories about people or uh, it could be movies or it could be books or however you like to, to hear a story is that characters are common, right? We, we love when we encounter a character and usually it's a person and they, they encounter some kind of conflict and then we watch how they work through to resolve or maybe not resolve those in their lives. And one of the reasons that we love stories so much more than I think um, just a list of platitudes or proverbs or commandments or something is that we connect. We connect with people. It's how we understand the world. And so when we watch characters in scripture, we, we begin, or anything, we connect with them and we start to see how what they're going through and their own conflicts, we see kind of a parallel. And then we want to see how these characters are going to resolve it. And, and I think we think, hey, maybe there's a clue. This is how life should be lived. This could be a clue. I can learn lessons without having to do it myself, right? That's why we uh, connect them. Or we don't like them at all, right? We really connect with characters or we see ourselves or we don't. And so we learn life lessons that way, right? It's powerful. So there are these relatable struggles. We watch them react. We get to see the result. And through these characters, we get to see what it means to be human. It's like a mirror, right? We see ourselves. We see their, our nature and their reflection. And 
so it really helps us kind of understand the world around us. So I think it's why we love stories. The scriptures are no different. I know we all love the stories. We learn them as kids. And then as we get older, sometimes we realize the stories are a little more complex than we thought. Now, one thing that's different in scripture, which you've probably noticed, is they're sometimes hard to relate to some of these characters. While there are a lot of characters, they are harder to relate to because there's not very much detail. You very rarely hear where they grew up, what their family life was like, the things they struggled through, what their favorite foods were, anything like that. And we definitely don't get very much about what they looked like. So you just are like, I'm, I'm really having a hard time imagining it. Now, I want you to be really cautious with artwork that you've seen over the years. Artwork, a lot of times, my favorite is Abinadi. They always make him old. There's nowhere that ever says he's old at all. Or like wiry are not wearing a shirt. And King Noah's always kind of slovenly, right? Because he seems opulent and, and it says that he has a vineyard and he drinks a lot. But later we hear him running up a tower and and doesn't mean you can't run if you're fat. But we just have these images of people um, from artwork that we've seen. My One of my least favorites is from the New Testament with Martha and Mary and the story where Martha's like, stirring a bowl and Mary's sitting at her feet and that's like not Mary's not even in the story like they're not even in the story together it's like they're missionaries with different assignments and why can't we assign Mary here and it's just completely clobbered that story in our minds it's like ah, oh, it's so much better to be listening than serving which was not the point at all if you even know how Christ was so these artwork though they kind of sometimes take the story and they put it in our heads and we don't even know why. So while I love artwork, don't get me wrong, just be really cautious on where you get these visual images of these characters. So when you read these stories, I'm pretty sure you don't have a painting of Nihor sitting in your house. So that's good. But as we read through characters, here are a few clues. First, make sure you don't have any of that artwork in your head unless you really go, yep, I think that's good. It sometimes can distort what our interpretation of the stories are. Again, not to diss on artwork. I love artwork. Okay. But two, if we do get any kind of description of the characters, it's really important. It's crucial. The images that we're going to get of characters, and we're going to get this in Nihor today, is going to be critical. It's going to tell us something about his morality. It's something about him. So, think about the stories in which you know something about what the character looks like in Scripture. Did you think of any? Let's see what we learned from them. One of the first ones you probably thought of was Nephi. Uh, Nephi talks about being young but large in stature. I mean, how many times do you actually go, oh, yeah, I was this big guy, right? And, and you're like, but he was young. So is that important? Was he just bragging about it? Well, if we look at his story, remember it looks back and it says something about his morality or his character or something about him at his core. We learn at a young age that he was very strong in faith. He was strong in the Lord. He becomes um, this very faithful and, and sober young man, right? He's not a frivolous, fluffy guy. He's, he's strong in faith. He's strong in morality and he's going to need to be at a young age. Exactly what he tells us. So his physical representation matches his uh, other representations, his moral character. Uh, if you think back to the Old Testament, some of my favorites are like Rachel, says so she was very beautiful. Um, and then Leah had weak eyes. Um, 
both are going to be really important in their stories. And you're like, we guys, you know, Leah couldn't see how far off. She didn't understand how some of her things were going to hurt her sister later. Rachel was very beautiful. And then that's Jacob seems to love her more. It seems to become kind of a problem in their story. We don't know lots else, but we know that. And it seems to become critical in their stories. Uh, Jacob and Esau, the twins, right? Uh, Esau is, is, He's red and hairy, it says. It's a funny story. In fact, red is what the name Esau, they'll call him red, because that's like we do when someone has red hair. Hey, red, right? That's what his nickname is, so they call him red. But he becomes hairy like a beast, and he's always out hunting, and he's not very focused on spiritual things, and um, and yet Jacob's skin is uh, is is not hairy and he's kind of slippery and a little devious. So it tells us something about how this story is going to go down. Uh, Jesus, we learn in Isaiah that it says he has no beauty that we should desire him, right? He's not about outward fluffy presentations. It isn't something that it's going to be maybe hard to live by. So it's not because on the outset it's glitz and glam, um, is to me is some reason why Isaiah is telling us that not because he wasn't good looking. It's because it, the gospel isn't about, um, making a bunch of money or being popular or anything like that. It's going to be the opposite. Um, the Lamanites, we're going to hear about them and they don't wear clothing at various times and some kind of mark of their civilization. It's not that they're not humble, like, oh, they don't have any clothing. It's the opposite, that they are wearing skins of animals, not wearing much clothing and they shave their heads. So we're seeing this bestiality or this lack of civilization and they're, you know, they're always hunting and gathering and fighting and things like that. And so these descriptions are meant to tell us something about their character. So... There's just a little bit that I want you to, to look at. It's going to tell us something about their roles. Now, another thing I want you to look at, besides their physical descriptions, which are rare, but if they are there, they are very important. Another thing is their name. Um, ancient scriptorians usually, their names, whether they, they were actual names or not, tended to tell us something about their role in the story, either what they could have been or what they're going to be. So Jesus means Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves. And that's exactly, right, salvation. Abraham, father of a multitude. And in the beginning of the story, he has no kids. So you're like, how's this going to work out? But there's his, right here in his name. Lehi. Uh, Lehi means jawbone. And it, it comes from a, the place where Samson took the jawbone of a donkey and, and killed a bunch of uh, enemies. And Lehi also, he defeats his enemies. But in a way, he's more of the spokesperson. He's the spiritual successor of, of a people and defeating the enemies of the Lord, right, as Lehi, but also carries this um, ancient uh, uh, covenants with him, right? The stories of old go with him. Zarahemla, we talked about this. Uh, Zara means like seed, like offspring or family. And uh, Hemla, Hemla might be compassion. It's, it's not really a Hebrew word, close. So it could be like the offspring of compassion or the seed of compassion, the name of this city. Um, one of my favorites also is Martha. The name Martha um, is Mara, and and it, it comes it means bitter, but it means kind of the strength that comes from av having overcome, having struggled through something in your life. Uh, Martha is is very a strong name. I I love that name. So when you look at characters, remember that there's something we're going to reflect in ourselves, something about their moral 
character, something that we say, this is how life should be lived or, or something we can learn. But look at what descriptions they give of them and also something like their names besides how they're going to react, right? It's natural to look at the story and go, well, what's going to happen in the story? We get that part. So in the story of Nihor, I want you to check that out, right? So let's go to Alma 1, Alma 1, and let's see if we can learn anything from these stories. So in Alma 1, it starts out, and it's going to do a compare and contrast immediately, and it says, it came to pass that in the first year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, from this time forward, King Mosiah, having gone the way of the earth, having warred a good warfare, walking uprightly before God, leaving none to reign in his stead, nevertheless he had established laws, and they were acknowledged by the people. Therefore, they were obliged to abide by the laws which he made. So the first thing we are going to remember is this goodly King uh, Mosiah, who had led the people, who was faithful and walked uprightly before God, uh, and then remember, not leaving none in his stead. He had no children um, there, and but he left laws, and that was more important, what he left for the people, and they had covenanted to abide it. And then it says, and it came to pass that the first year of the reign of Alma in the judgment seat, so remember there's no king, now there's a judge, and that's Alma. There was a man brought before him to be judged, a man who was large and was much noted for his strength. Well, that's what? Write <laughs> a note, big guy. This is going to be important. Something about his size is going to tell us something about him and the moral of the story. Okay. In the beginning, he has no name. He has no name. Also important in the story. He and he dies the same way as the story ends. He has no name. He means nothing. So lest we come up with something. Now we're going to be told in a minute, but a man is, a big guy is brought before him. And you're like, dun, dun, dun. Right. You can feel it. Okay. Verse three. Uh, this back to this man and he had gone about the people among the people preaching to them that which he termed to be the word of God bearing down against the church declaring unto the people that every priest and teacher ought to become popular and they ought not to labor with their hands but they ought to be supported by the people so the very first thing is this guy's going around saying that this is the word of God and he's telling them that they should pay they should pay that should jump out of us right away, right? This guy is all about power and money. He's saying this is the word of God, but the first thing he tells us is, oh, we shouldn't have to work. You should have to pay for us. And here's the second thing that he taught. And he also testified unto the people that all mankind should be saved at the last day and that they need not fear nor tremble, but they might lift up their heads and rejoice. For the Lord had created all men, and it also redeemed all men. And in the end, all men should have eternal life. Okay, that one should jump out of us too. So the first thing is pay me. And here's why you're going to pay me. Because I'm telling you things you want to hear. I'm saying the gospel isn't something. I just, I just get it. This is called universalism. And there's some appealing things to this. And there are some pieces to this that I could say, yeah, we probably have some part of this that sounds like it's like the gospel. Grace is for all men. All men can come unto Christ. All men can be redeemed. But, and all men will be resurrected, right? We know those things. But this is kind of like, you don't have to do anything. It's the easy path. You don't need to to live or change anything about your morality. You don't need to follow Christ. You don't need to covenant. You just, you know, God loves everybody. This is universalism. It's very tempting, very tempting, right? 
So the first, but the first thing we learned is it's a man with no name who's really big and strong. He's telling everybody that he should get paid. And here's why you should pay me because see, redemption's easy. All right. Those are the first couple things we learn about him. This is an interesting story to begin with, right? Okay. Uh, and then he says, and it came to pass that he was going to preach to those who believed on his word. And he met a man who belonged to the church of God. Yea, even one of their teachers. And he began to contend with him sharply that he might lead away the people of the church. But the man withstood him, admonishing him with the words of God. Okay, so uh, this man, we haven't heard his name yet, but it's Nehor, just for the sake of me telling this. Nehor runs into a guy. And they start, all right, he's going to go preach to his own flock, this terrible gospel, when he meets a real teacher of the gospel. And they start to get in an argument. And the man that he's, Nehor, is talking to is Gideon. And it tells us this. If you forget who Gideon was, it was he who was an instrument in the hands of God in delivering the people of Limhi out of bondage. Now, because Gideon withstood him and the words of God, he was wroth with Gideon. Now, let's go back to Gideon. You remember Gideon. Gideon is the, also an interesting guy because he comes from the time of Judges in the Old Testament, right? And he was the guy who hid out in the, in the like the well, the cistern thing. And then he, it's like a long story. Gideon has a really long story in the book of Judges. But this Gideon, very righteous guy. Remember, he chases down King Noah. He goes to the top of the, he has like a sword fight with them. They go to the top of the tower. They see the Lamanites, etc. And Gideon is quite the hero of righteousness. Very passionate guy and here you see is he's older now he's quite a bit older right and he is an older man and he's become a teacher of the people he's he's a faithful uh he's a hero but he's an older man now and then we're gonna see Nehor's true colors so go back to verse nine and now because Gideon withstood him the nameless Nehor so far with the words of God he was wroth with Gideon and drew his sword and began to smite him now Gideon being stricken with many years, therefore he was not able to withstand the blows. Therefore, he was slain by the sword. This story takes this terrible turn. Nehor, the nameless Nehor right now, who is not worthy of having a name yet in the story, beats down an older priest of God because his words, he could not win the battle of the wits, right? He was so upset that he kills a man. This guy is terrible, but it tells us his real motives. It tells us this gospel that he's teaching is terrible, right? We see it. We go, what a despicable human. Oh, just, we already don't like him. Even if you go back to the gospel he's trying to teach, you go, clearly the story is this guy's terrible. So the man who slew him was taken, still doesn't have a name in the story. And the man who slew him was taken by the judge of the church and was brought before Alma to be judged according to the crimes which he had committed. And it came to pass that he stood before an Alma and he pled for himself with much boldness. So he was very strong. And you're like, who is this guy? And Alma said unto him, behold, this is the first time that priestcraft has been introduced among this people. And behold, thou art not only guilty of priestcraft, which is teaching for money, teaching for power, right? But hast endeavored to enforce it by the sword. And were priestcraft to be enforced among this people, it would prove their entire destruction. Here, underline it, star it. This is going to be part of the destruction of the 
the uh, Nephites and the Lamanites is the introduction of this is issue. So this should be something we're going to watch for. This man doesn't have a name because he is not worthy of it in the story. He beats down a, a, a hero of the gospel, Gideon, because they had a war of words. Terrible man this man is. But he also is convincing people of his evil. And so Alma continues and says, And thou hast shed the blood of a righteous man, yea, a man who has done much good among his people. And were we to spare thee, his blood would come up upon us for vengeance. Therefore thou art condemned to die, according to the law which has been given us by Mosiah, our last king, and has been acknowledged by his people. Remember the first verse we just read, they all agreed to this, but therefore his people must abide by the law. And it came past that they took him, and his name was Nehor. It's the first time. He's worthy of death. He is a despicable human. He's been teaching evil things for power and money, and he is killed. Uh, they carried him to the top of the hill Manti, where he was caused, or rather did acknowledge between the heavens and the earth, that what he had taught to the people was contrary to the word of God. And there he suffered an ignominious death. That's the end of his story. The first time you hear his name is basically in the same sentence where he gets a death. The same way the story starts without a name is the way his life ends, ignominious, right? It's telling us something about Nehor. Now, the reason they're going to tell us his name is because this order of Nehor crops up. And so we're like, it's this guy we're talking about. But he is not worthy of a name. He is ignominious. And he realizes what he's done here, but he was whatever. Now, why did it tell us that he was bold and big and strong? Because he's going to kill someone later in the story with his power. He's much more powerful physically that he kills a hero a hero Gideon, but also he is strong in boldness, the way he speaks and the way he conducts himself and in evil. He's not strong in the gospel and faith like Lehi. He's strong and bold in his pride. He's strong and bold in his morale, his evil morals, and he suffers because of it. So see the story, how it wraps it all the way around. He doesn't have a name. He's strong. He dies, but he dies nothing. This is, this is priestcraft. This is bad news. All right, scriptorians. I want you to try to use those techniques as you learn about the characters and learn what it means. I want you to look at names this week and say, what do names mean in your life? The names you've been given, the names you give your children, the names you have in your family names, and see if you don't have any strength or uh, characters that you want to hold on to. And remember... Uh, just because you have a name that maybe doesn't mean anything to you or something, it may mean something to someone else. And so make that name be something strong and be like Alma, Mosiah, and Gideon in these stories. All right, Scriptorians, let's end there. But an amazing way to understand the scriptures and the morality that the Lord's going to teach us about uh, the faith of the people and the righteousness of them and how we can apply that to uh, the morality we have in our lives. All right. All right. Keep on reading, everybody. <laughs>